Hello and welcome to Deer Tracks. Welcome back to My Neck of the Woods as we gather again for another episode of the Deer Tracks podcast. My name is James Kibbe, and this week we will be doing something new, something never done before on this podcast, and that is we're going to read a couple short stories. So if you're a fan of short stories, then this is the episode for you, and I really appreciate the authors who shared these stories, and they also shared with me another story, which is up on our blog site, and that address is Deer Tracks Podcast. Blog. So after listening to this episode, you can head on over to there and read uh, the other stories that they submitted. And again, the address is deertrackspodcast.blog. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on, say, Apple Podcast or Google Podcast or Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, uh, please take a moment and leave a five-star rating and positive review. This really helps us to expand our audience. And like I said, it only takes a moment of your time. And we really appreciate it. And we really appreciate you just tuning in every week. So thank you so much for that. And if you have a poem or short story or song or some other creative work that you would like displayed on our blog site or you would like to hear in a future episode of the Deer Tracks podcast, you can email those to james at deertrackspodcast.blog. Uh, really looking forward to seeing your work. And now, without further ado, let's move on to this week's episode. So before we get into our first story, I wanted to share an excerpt from The Wind in the Willows. Uh, You maybe read it when you were a kid, maybe you read it when you're an adult, or maybe you've never read it, and I encourage you to pick it up. It's it's a really uh, well-written book, Uh, beautiful language in there, uh, beautiful imagery, a really fun story. I started reading it to my kids uh, before they uh, go to bed, uh, and so they've really enjoyed it. And um, so Kenneth Graham is the author. And this excerpt that I'm going to share takes place in chapter three. Uh, winter has come on, um, on you know, for on, on the animals there along the riverbank and in the wild wood and that. And so the way that he describes winter, that mole um, goes out and uh, he's experienced, it's like he's experiencing winter for the first time. And he's seeing all these things and just the language that is being used to describe uh, what he's seeing. It's just uh, really, really uh, beautiful and uh, vivid. And, you know, it's it's interesting that we get into winter and a lot of times, um, you know, maybe outside of the Christmas uh, season, but we get into January and that, and um, we don't necessarily get lost in wonder. We're just like, oh, it's cold and, uh, you know, I just want to be inside. But there is in a way this sort of like, beauty but also sort of like this uh it looks like a humbling beauty and and um you know so i i really enjoyed this and so i wanted to share it with you and in a way it sort of demonstrates how even in stories whether it be novels or short stories just how 
um, just just the room that there is to really be um, poetic and, and, and for the language to really evoke um, uh, you know such uh, imagery in, in that so um, so I'm going to read that excerpt and um, just listen to the language that uh, Graham uses in this it was a cold still afternoon with a hard steely sky overhead when he uh, Mr. Mole slipped out of the warm parlor into the open air the country lay bare and entirely leafless around him and he thought that he had never seen so far and so intimately into the insides of things as on that winter day when nature was deep in her annual slumber and seemed to have kicked the clothes off. Copses, dells, quarries, and all hidden places which had been mysterious mines for exploration in leafy summer now exposed themselves and their secrets pathetically and seemed to ask him to overlook their shabby poverty for a while till they could riot in rich masquerade as before and trick and entice him with the old deceptions it was pitiful in a way and yet cheering even exhilarating he was glad that he liked the country undecorated hard and stripped of its finery he had got down to the bare bones of it and they were fine and strong and simple he did not want the warm clover and the play of seeding grasses, the screens of quickset, the billowy drapery of beech, and the elm seemed best away. And with great cheerfulness of spirit, he pushed on towards the wild wood, which lay before him low and threatening, like a black reef in some still southern sea. So just the imagery of that, it's just, the language is just beautiful, and just the, the, the nakedness and, and, and the poverty, yeah, that that you see all around when you look at the trees and you look at bushes and that. And so I thought that was really, um, like I said, really evocative. So, but anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. And if you did, and you've never read this book, I really encourage uh, reading this book again. It's the wind in the willows by Kenneth Graham, but we're going to move on to our first story. And this is story was written by Elizabeth Mitchell. And Elizabeth Mitchell is actually the sister of a, a good friend of mine. Who's a Methodist pastor. And he's actually the one that, uh, shared these with me. So Elizabeth, um, if you are, you know, if you enjoy this, hopefully you enjoy this podcast. And um, again, thank you so much for the uh, the stories that you've written. And I hope that you write um, a lot more because I really enjoyed reading them. So this first story of hers is titled Hope. He didn't know what the darkness was, but he reached towards it. What else could he do? This must be what it feels like to be in a cocoon, he thought. Heavy, damp, cramped, but somewhat comforting. Or maybe not comforting. Maybe familiar? He reached his arms up and began to pull off the decomposing matter that lay heavy on him. Thick mud, wet leaves, and other foliage seemed to cover him. He couldn't remember why he was here in this state. Did he need to hide? Stay warm? He focused hard but nothing before his awakening was there. No matter, he needed to keep moving and rose with this purpose in mind. He was in a mature forest. This at least he knew. A few steps with open arms in either direction brought him in contact with thick bark and broken limbs. He could vaguely make out the larger shapes, but as he moved forward, smaller, less visible shapes halted his progress and made him falter. Yet, as the minutes passed, 
He became more comfortable with the various types of possible obstructions and was able to weave around them with surprising skill. His feet had found a game path of sorts, probably worn down by deer or wild pigs, hopefully not the latter. Perhaps another man had walked this trail recently. This thought excited him, and he picked up speed, falling down occasionally as his initial weariness dissipated with enthusiasm. He seemed to belong to the darkness now. It still frightened him, sure, but he felt like it was a part of him. Even now, he couldn't tell where he stopped and the shadows began. He paused as he thought about that. He moved on only after the chill that moved down his spine hit its base. He ducked under a particularly thick and low-hanging limb when he saw it. What it was, he didn't know, but his eyes sensed it immediately. Just a hint of a shimmer to the right. There were no stars, no moon, no celestial lights at all, so it had to be earthbound. Although curious, he had a path to follow, and he plodded on. Every few seconds, though, the twinkle would grab his attention. It was the only real source of light in the area, so it was hard to ignore. He was curious, but to investigate, he would have to leave the game path. It seemed to be broadening out under his feet as he proceeded. It surely would lead him to something if he could just keep going. But the light, that light... There was something about it that made him want to risk it all. He wasn't sure how it happened or when he had made the decision, but soon he was tripping and plunging towards it through a mess of shrubs and thorns and muck. The glimmer became a sparkle, and then within minutes it was a dazzling beam that made his destination clear. The forest seemed to get thicker as he approached, but the light enabled him to maneuver his way around what surely would have been deadly crevices and sharp barriers. The game path was easier for sure, but as he approached the light, he knew he could not turn back yet. He had to see the source, just once. His feet stepped into a clearing. It was almost a perfect circle of meadow. The muck that he had trudged through began to fall towards the ground and he left a muddy trail of footprints as he approached the light. He could see clearly now that it was a torch. It was an older model, sort of like a medieval wall torch. Yet it was planted firmly in a rock, a smooth, tall boulder that was the only disruption in the meadow's flat landscape. As he moved in for a closer look, he felt the warmth that radiated from it. Strange, he thought. It was the first time all night he noticed how cold he was. He grabbed hold of the stone to pull himself up towards the flame when he noticed the snow for the first time. All around him were huge flakes of white falling and quickly spreading a blanket of white over the clearing and his muggy trail as well. All the darkness he had brought in from the forest was gone. He had never seen such a pristine scene. As the light of the torch now shone brighter off the crystalline landscape, he felt lighter, purer almost. For the first time that evening, he knew the game trail was not his answer. The light seemed to promise him something. He wasn't sure if it was warmth, purpose, or hope, but he needed it. For the last time, he turned his back to the dark forest. He didn't know what the light was, but he reached towards it.
So the title of that story again is Hope, and that was by Elizabeth Mitchell. Now I have to correct myself because I did say before we read the story that uh, the first of her stories, and what I meant to say is the first story of this episode, but we do have another story, as I mentioned before, from Elizabeth Mitchell. It's titled His Eyes on the Sparrow, and it's on our blog site, and the address for that is deertrackspodcast.blog. So if you enjoyed Hope, then head on over to our blog site and read Elizabeth Mitchell's story, His Eye is on the Sparrow. Now, on to our next author and our next story here. Uh, The next story we got is titled Farewell Earthlings, and it's by Thomas H. Icke. I really enjoyed this story as well. This kind of had a sort of Twilight Zone-esque feel to it. Maybe a little bit more humorous than what most Twilight Zone episodes would be, but still kind of got that twist and and, and definitely that, that feel of it. So... Uh, But uh, I really appreciate Tom sharing this story. And he's also got another story up on our blog site as well. Like I said, both of them sent me two stories. And so one on this episode, one on our blog site, uh, deertrackspodcast.blog. But I also want to mention that Tom last year released a novel. And the title of the novel is One Ounce of Fear. I picked up a copy last year, read it, really enjoyed it. Um, And... I'm looking forward to having Tom on the podcast uh, to discuss his book and his, and, and his writing uh, in a future episode. So please stay tuned for that. Um, but just to kind of give you a sense of what One Ounce of Fear uh, is about, I'm going to read the back of the book. And like I said, just to give you a taste. Can disembodied spirits or demons manipulate circumstances and affect our lives? Do witches possess magical powers? What happens when the natural and supernatural worlds collide? Alex and Molly are about to find out. Welcome to Seneca Grove, a peculiar little town with a haunted past and a rumored curse. Young Alex is hearing voices as Aunt Molly, a newlywed, is struggling with problems of her own, and the town witch is on the warpath. Surely death is on the horizon. With Molly tumbling deeper into despair, will she awaken to the danger they face? rediscover the faith of her youth and rescue Alex before it's too late. So little suspenseful there, but it's uh, like I said, really good book. So please check it out again. It's one ounce of fear by Thomas Ike. And I'm looking forward to having him on our podcast. So stay tuned to that as well uh, for, for more on, on that. And now without any more uh, delay, let's hear his story. Farewell earthlings. I wonder if anyone on earth survived to read this. Heartbroken I write as an explanation is warranted. My name is Oot. I live on Tog, a civilized community. You being an earthling are unaware of our planet, and that's truly a shame, because Tog is a place of generous beauty. A few weeks ago, I visited your planet, covertly at night, for a class project, the only Togian student to ever do so. So yes, I alone am to blame. But really, how was I to know? Even when the automated tutoring system, ATS, locked the classroom door as the mayhem ensued, I did not foresee this dreadful outcome. I'm getting ahead of myself. Please, allow me to start at the beginning. It was a typical school day when ATS quieted the room and prompted me to begin. Oot, are you ready? Am I ready? Not at all. My mind was elsewhere. Foreign language isn't my favorite class but I generally do well in school. 
I was distracted at home lately because Hoog, my little sister, was stuffing her nose again. This likely strikes you as peculiar, as humans have such minuscule nasal passages, but trust me, it's a widespread phenomenon amongst today's Tagian youth. Anyway, she'll jam almost anything up there. That weekend, she had developed a common virus. Her chronic sneezing became quite dangerous, with numerous discharge projectiles hurling about. Fortunately, we have a practitioner of medicine in the family, my female parental unit. Six times she tended to minor shrapnel removal in one weekend. Also, our natural Tagian adaptive physiology is cooperative. Since the nasal packing trend began several years ago, our appendages have assumed remarkable self-adhesive properties, so reattaching a severed limb isn't as time-consuming as it once was. There is one positive outcome I wish to mention. I got my missing terrestrial spacecraft collection back. All this to say, I had scant time to devote to this project, so I remained nervous as the class began. I am ready, I responded. I scanned my notes as ATS reminded us we can use the Automated Stimulus System, ASS, at will. ASS is a most helpful classroom tool. It creates objects and life forms unfamiliar to us. This is crucial information for you to understand, as you will see. Class, don your translators, ATS said. This presentation will be in an Earth language called English. Okay, Oot, you may begin. I cleared my throat. Earthlings have many languages. First contact was with an individual called Fluffy. My fellow students repeated her name, Fluffy. I nodded and smiled. I liked Fluffy a lot. She was an apt greeter, very skilled at charming visitors. Indeed, she provided a most enjoyable, wet welcome. We bonded immediately. She instigated a delightful circular dance in which we explored each other's biological signals. However, her language proved to be limited, so after obliging her request for a belly rub, I set my sights on your global data system. You call it the internet. Fluffy was of the canine family, so I sought out a human, a much more verbose species. This is a foreign language project, after all. Of course, I researched their efforts in space travel. A few facts. In 1961, Earth time, Yuri Gagarin orbited their planet, becoming the first human in outer space. He had a cool name, don't you think? Yuri. Yuri. Yes, they parroted his name as per usual, but I wondered how many were actually paying attention. A few years later, I continued, Neil Armstrong made the news. Now, with a name like Armstrong, you'd might suspect he'd be renowned for something related to his massive arms. But he's remembered for taking a walk. Crazy, right? I laughed alone. Neil took a walk on Earth's satellite. They call it the moon. When my classmates did not volunteer to echo moon, ATS instructed them to do so. Of course they did. But I knew I was losing them. Blank stares screamed for mercy. Well, after that, they built another craft designed to orbit their planet. It's called a space station. I hesitated, expecting ATS to interject again, keep everyone involved, but she was silent this time. Space station, I repeated alone. This is where, on Earth, you'd hear crickets. Sure, I sensed trouble. Even ATS was bored, and she's just a machine. If only I'd recognized this as a foreshadowing of what was to come. After that, they gave up on intergalactic travel. 
Classmate interrupted. Forever? Oot, are you suggesting they aren't planning to visit? Her name is Slee. Slee always interrupts, and she'll never be a singer, not with that voice she won't. And she has such an embarrassingly tiny nose. Well, at least she doesn't steal her brother's belongings. Where was I? Oh, yes. I smiled and said, Nope, guess not. They resorted to creating fictitious films featuring space adventures instead. Well, she pushed, I don't see why we should learn their language then. Slee, ATS scolded, did you ever consider you may wish to visit Earth someday? No, you did not. Oot, please continue. Okay, I said. Earthlings aren't coming anytime soon, so like I said, I went there and had a fascinating experience. If I may suggest, Earth is suitable for vacation. I was so naive. I glanced up. Several of my classmates were napping. Others were hoping Slee would interrupt again. While I was there, I continued, I implanted an audio device into a subject named Jack. Jack is presently interacting with another individual. Let's listen in. That there is one fine mower, Jack was saying. I could get my lawn done lickety-split with a machine like that. ATS interrupted this time. Pause the broadcast. Remember, class, ask ASS to demonstrate. I'll get us started. ASS, I heard lawn. Show us lawn. The floor of the classroom instantly became a lush green lawn. I grinned. The class sprang from their seats, dropped to the floor, and crawled and rolled on the strange soft surface. I did too. We made lawn angels, waving our arms and legs with glee. ASS to the rescue. A voice in the back called out, I heard mower. ASS, show us mower. The lawnmower appeared and at once commenced mowing. Self-animated, it traveled in a straight line from front to back, rotated, and cut a new row. Distracted by the pungent scent this action produced, a few classmates nearly found themselves underneath the beast. Judging by the shredded desks and chairs, our advanced physiology would have proved insufficient in efforts to reassemble each other. Okay, class, ATS shouted over the mower's engine. Let's return to Jack from Earth. Well, when the broadcast resumed, a multitude of unfamiliar words flooded our ears. What brought you in today, Jack? Got me a pest problem. You came to the right place. We are your pest control headquarters. What you got? Fleas? Spiders? Wasps? No problem. Rodents or vermin? We got sprays, traps, poison. The two of them, Jack and the other human, kept at it in the same strange fashion. At this point, everything was fine. They were communicating so rapidly, we were missing most of it altogether. Unfortunately, ATS has exceptional cognitive abilities. Suddenly, we were in uncharted territory as she activated ASS again. I heard spiders. ASS, show us spiders. Thousands of spiders appeared. Spiders come in all different sizes. The one perched on Slee's head was bigger than my hand. I contributed before I knew better. Did I hear bees? Show us bees. Thousands of buzzing bees appeared. Simultaneously, before we understood the ramifications of our actions, the class joined in. I heard ants. I heard fleas. I heard rats. Immediately, ATS auto-locked the door, but no one noticed. 
we were too busy itching and running and swatting, which proved to be a horrible idea, at the swarm. Yes, we named them all, and ASS delivered. Trust me, nothing so extraordinary has ever occurred during any school project. Needless to say, we were ill-prepared for such an invasion. A week later at the medical center, we heard what you named the furry black and white striped critters, skunks. They are quite cute, not as appealing as you, Fluffy. But goodness, they have some powerful odor. I failed foreign language studies this year, and nobody but me learned your language. Actually, there is one English word they will never forget. Quarantine. So, I feel bad for Jack and Fluffy. Looks like you will never learn our language or experience a Tagian sunrise while stuffing your brother's toys up your nose. Yes, this is farewell. My project was the catalyst for the governmental decision to declare Earth a no-fly zone. This is clearly a wise move, with your world overrun by such brutal inhabitants. Hopefully you and Fluffy find a way to defeat those pests, then maybe, someday, I'll visit again. That was Farewell Earthlings by Thomas H. Ike. If you enjoyed that story, head on over to our blog site, deertrackspodcast.blog, and you can read the other story he submitted titled Mother May I. I really appreciate Thomas and Elizabeth sharing their stories, and if you would like to share your stories, uh, whatever creative work that you would like to hear either on a future episode of this podcast or you would like to see on our blog site, you can email those to james at deertrackspodcast.com. Blog. And if you enjoyed the content of this episode, again, I encourage you to leave a five-star rating or positive review wherever you're listening to this podcast and help us to reach more people with the content that you've enjoyed. Well, that about does it for this episode of the Deer Tracks podcast. So until our paths cross again, this is James Kibbe saying so long for now. Take care. <laughs>